The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Today, so we waited till today to do the podcast and it'll be released. Um, as you're li- listening to it currently, of course, you already know it's released because you're listening to it on Tuesday. Um, but how's it been going, John? I know you hated the market being closed today. Yeah, a moment about that. I actually didn't realize this, but futures were open till one, um, so they traded, I, I think they traded. From 6 p.m. Sunday night to 1 p.m. just after uh, lunch today, and then they were closed until um, six. That's that's how most holidays are, isn't it? Because it's not actually closed on Sunday night. So like Martin Luther King Day was this Monday, so like the, they would shut it down from Sunday the Sunday night portion, basically. Yeah, I haven't been in futures long enough to really. No, I need to look up the the calendar for it. Um, we've only been looking at futures pretty hard the last um, what six months or so. Yeah, uh, probably since like summer. Yeah, so um, I actually we've only been through a couple of holidays where the market's been closed, uh, but I didn't actually realize they were open. Um, but usually, uh, the last two holidays that I've seen. I can't really say usually, but the last two holidays that I've seen, um, when it was open like half a day, there wasn't much volume and it wasn't moving around a whole lot. But yeah, it sucks. Um, you know, I, I like the markets being open. It, that's one good thing, I guess, about Bitcoin when it comes uh, to more platforms is that you can trade it. I guess it's open just all the time, isn't it? Yep, it's open all the time. Um, and I think that's really because we're on the show and a lot of people really are looking at Bitcoin, you know, as anything else, like a futures contract. That's how I look at it. It's like kind of like a futures, but it's not like a contract. You're just buying it. Um, but technically it's a currency. It's not really uh, like a stock market product. All, all you're doing is trading in your money for this other type of currency. It's like if I went to Mexico and I wanted pesos, I would just change my dollars into pesos that's technically what you're doing it's not actually you know you know what i really think you're doing what 
I think it's like going to an arcade and you get some tokens for your money. And then you can play some games. <laughs> That's actually, um, I'm pretty sure what you're doing because they have like um, Bitcoin tokens because again, it's a currency. So they're looking to buy stuff, but you know, one Bitcoin is $40,000. $40, like you can't just be like, oh yeah, one's the smallest you can have. So I think there are Bitcoin Oh, I learned tokens. this today. I learned this. The smallest increment of a Bitcoin you can buy is called a Toshi. And how much is that worth? It is eight decimal points back. Which I is, mean, eight um, zeros from the decimal point. Which is how much in dollars? I don't know. The, whatever current share of uh, Bitcoin is times point zero 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 one. Well, I got a lot more than that, John. I got a few Toshis. There you go. Hey, and they said that when Bitcoin gets really big, oh, and also you heard it here first, folks, Toshis. Anyways, um, they said when people stop saying how many Bitcoin you have and people start saying, have you bought any Toshis yet? That's when it'll be time to sell your Bitcoin. Well, that is when people's going, well, that's when people's going to be starting to use it. Not again, at that point though, John, I actually was listening to a podcast. It wasn't a market podcast. It was just, it was actually a podcast from Barstool Sports. And I had a guy on there who used to work there, um, probably while he was in college or something, who is like really big into Bitcoin. Like this guy's job now, he runs a Bitcoin. Uh, he, he works at a company that runs Bitcoin mining. Like they have storage buildings and they put miners and stuff in but that's a whole different deal. Um, but he was talking about, they had him on and he was like talking about Bitcoin and stuff, stuff with them. And he made a point that kind of, you know, a little bit different. You know, if people start saying how many Toshis are you buying, you said that might be time to sell. But why? At that point, that's, that's kind of, I mean, it's just money then. Like you should just have Bitcoin because you can use it. Well, it's just money. I don't know that it would sell for dollars. If we're talking about people like that, then, you know, the dollar's tank. I don't think the dollar is going to go to zero. And it's I don't not going to go to zero, of course not. And I don't think that Bitcoin will be the dominant source or the dominant currency because I think Bitcoin is a small solution. A, a, no, I think it's a temporary solution to a very big problem. And I don't think it has the answers. I learned a shit ton about Bitcoin from this guy talking on one of the Barstool Sports podcasts. John, I might even send you the clip of him talking. I learned a lot more about Bitcoin than I've ever known before. So apparently, so 2040 is the last year any new Bitcoin will be mined. Like it's the last year it'll be coming out. So people talk about like you just trade it out. Of, it's not. It's like a very strict um, thing. It's like 2004. They set it up at the beginning. Like each Every, I don't know the amount of years. I think it's every four years. Every every four years, there's more Bitcoin that can be mined, but it cuts off at 2040. That's all of, like they, when they created it, it was a predetermined amount and that was it. So then in 2040, that's all of the new Bitcoin, basically, that's out there that'll be worth money. It's um, like, um, it's 21 million, I think. Is the maximum number twenty one million? I think currently it's like eighteen point six million is out there. Yeah, I don't know that you can divide it enough for the whole world to use it. 
I mean, it's expensive. So, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, it being the dominant currency, we're not talking about it being $40,000 of Bitcoin. We're talking like hundreds of thousand dollars, million dollars for one Bitcoin. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess, and then you could, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so, my big, so say it was I, I one million, think. yeah, it'd be like $1 million of Bitcoin, 21 million Bitcoins. That's, I mean, that's a lot of money. So, I, I'm not saying so. I'm not a Bitcoin bro yet because I still don't know much about, but I, I learned a lot more today and it sounds quite a bit better. The Bitcoin people I found out also from just listening to this, they're kind of, to me, they're the ones that definitely do not like the government, which makes sense. We have talked to our friend Fat Baby Funds and he kind of is not so sure about the government. So it makes a lot more sense now, but um, this guy seemed similar. But um, yeah, he talked about how the you know the dollar could be printed and stuff like that. He he was pointing out like, okay, this can't be. And then someone asked him like, well, what if the inventor comes back and it's like, well, he, he can't. So basically, the person who invented Bitcoin did it under an alias, and nobody's seen, heard from him or anything in over ten years. But um, you can actually track if his Bitcoin moves. So like, he has a certain amount of Bitcoin. You can. Some way you can see, you know, if any of his is being moved. So if say he dumped a bunch, and that would that would signal trouble for Bitcoin or something. But uh, no, it was it was interesting. I, I learned um, a lot. Basically, it's just like you just get a bunch of computer power, and um, you got to solve this logarithm thing, and that makes a Bitcoin if you solve it. And it's just like a block. Thing. That's why people call it blockchain, but it's just like a block. So the argument, the I think the main argument against Bitcoin, besides from the people who know, again, let me preface this, the argument from Bitcoin for the, from the people who know what it is and know how um, how it works and stuff, I'm not talking about the people like my, you know, like your grandpa who, you know, gold or Peter Schiff or something where it's only gold is the solution. I mean, we're not talking about the people who don't even wanting to research it to figure out what it is. We're talking about people who know what it is. Um, I think the main argument for them is it's not Bitcoin that's worth the money. It's the technology that's worth the money. So it'd be, so I think those are the blockchain people, the people that's just, which is the technology, which is basically what Bitcoin is. It's not the specific type of currency, Bitcoin. It's the um, the technology created to like make a Bitcoin and then the Bitcoin argument back to that is no, it's still the Bitcoin because it's when it was created, there's such strict parameters and there's like, a I don't even know what's called. I don't want to say a board because it's not a board, but it's like the people, they would all have to like agree to create more and it would never be created more because that's the reason they own Bitcoin is because it can't be created more. So there's no way you can get a unanimous decision. And then also, like I said, it's, I don't know, it's just like there's a list of strict parameters it has to be for it to be a Bitcoin. But yeah, those are the arguments is that it's, that the technology is what's impressive, not the Bitcoin. Therefore, Bitcoin may be worth nothing if somebody creates another coin. That's why you see all these other coin um, cryptos out here like Dogecoin that TikTok investors are all over and stuff like that. But Yeah, so here's my viewpoint on it. And We'll, we'll, I will just try to make this short. Um, but so the problem with our currency, the U.S. dollar right now, is that number one, like we've talked about so far, is that there's not a limited supply of it. And whenever 
you Which can just it, have. It didn't used to be like that, right? Like it was like correct. 50, so 50 years ago, it was backed by gold. Yeah. So, so how it worked was that um, the, the government printed notes and they're kind of like certificate. Think of them as like certificates. They're redeemable for something. You know, like a gift certificate is redeemable for something. Basically, dollars were redeemable for gold. And you could go to the bank and say, I don't want this money. I want gold instead. And they would give you your gold. And then you could go barter with gold if you wanted to. But then if you wanted, uh, you know, you didn't want to carry around this gold, you took it to the bank, they'd take your gold and they'd say, we owe you this much gold. Here's your certificate saying how much gold you own and how much we owe you. But this is good. And people will um, realize that this is a banknote and that it's good for this much gold, and they'll accept it instead of having to, you know, have the actual bars of gold. Well, um, in like, so in the war, we had the problem of we didn't have enough money to pay for the war. So we went off the gold standard, and we just said, you guys can um, keep, basically, you guys can keep the money, and we're just going to put the gold back out on the market, and we'll sell the gold, um, and just kind of, you know, if people want to buy it, they can buy it that way, or they can just keep their certificates, but they started cranking out the certificates to pay for the war. And so then you have all this extra money um, that's not backed by anything. It's just paper at this point. But people got so used to the paper being worth something, and they stopped going to the bank to exchange it for gold because it was just known that it was good as gold. But what happened was, is, you know, when you, you grow up and someone's not handing you a gold bar when you're five, they're ho ho handing you a $5 bill that you can go buy a toy with, kids start believing that the $5 bill is worth something and they're not told that the gold coin is worth something. So in your minds, you grew up in this um, time where you see that money is worth something and you see the direct uh, power of you know, giving someone $5 and getting that toy from the store as a kid. And then you grow up only using dollars. Well, that's kind of what happened. And people just, they accepted it. And even though they were shelling out all this money, people were just so used to that's what money was. So, so there wasn't a huge kickback like they probably should have been. And then now we've got to the point to where we're just cranking it out as much as we can. And eventually that's not sustainable. So in 2008, when the financial crisis happened, they said, this is what's wrong is these politicians, they think they know what's right with, for our economy and they just print all this money and they control the currency. And that, look, this is what's happened. 2008, this is a benefit of our government shelling too much money out and people running into the real estate market to try to get returns because the interest rates are low and they push it into um, housing to get a yield, blah, blah, blah. So, they, so these group of people um, create Bitcoin and it's supposed to, um, you know, like we're talking about, take a limited supply of something so it has scarcity. That's limited supply, and you have demand for something that's in little, in, you know, in little demand. Then you, you know, it bids the price up. So that's what we're seeing with Bitcoin. As more people come into Bitcoin, it's going to shoot the price up because they can't just make more of it. So that's one of the problems with the dollar. The other problem with the dollar is it's not backed by anything real. And that's the same problem that Bitcoin has. Now, I know a lot of people are going to hate me and Bitcoin. There's some people out there that's like gung-ho Bitcoin. And I've had arguments online about it. I am going to buy some Bitcoin just so everyone is clear. But it's going to be proportional 
to my total portfolio like everything else is. I'm not all in on it. I'm not going to have an overweighted position in it. I am going to own some. To me, Bitcoin is worth as just as much as the dollar is. Um, and the good thing about Bitcoin is there's upside in it. But other than that, there's no real upside in the U.S. dollar. You got to get out of it, to, you know, to because all money is just excess productivity. If I want to store my excess productivity somewhere in the dollar. It just you know dwindles my excess productivity. So at least I can make money with Bitcoin. Yeah, um, like you said there, keeping it proportional to your portfolio, that's the same thing that, that everyone should really be doing. Like it's a, right now because Bitcoin, you don't go to, I don't go to Kroger's and pay for my groceries in Bitcoin. Now you can buy, at this point, you can buy stuff in Bitcoin, but I, you, it's not the standard. So right now, like John, you should, it's currently, you know, it's just like you're putting your, you're diversifying your portfolio. Like a lot of people hold gold still. Like maybe like 2% of the portfolio in gold or a percent in silver. That's the same thing here that John's talking about is he's going to buy some Bitcoin because that just, that's one more diversification for his portfolio. So when, you know, gold goes down or the dollar goes down, Bitcoin's probably going up. So it bounces yeah. out some of that. Yeah. And, and I think like said, it has upside. Yeah. And the, the thing with, um, the thing they should do is create, see the thing about blockchain, the, the technology is so good because it keeps everyone honest and the ledger of who owns what is on every, you know, everybody's like uh, all the uh, mainframe systems, all the Bitcoin uh, servers that's out there that, you know, connects the coins together. Uh, everyone knows who owns what. I mean, not like personally, but there's, you know, it's identified who owns what. And it's not just a bank telling you who owns what and how much it's, you know, decentralized. That's the great yep. thing about blockchain. So, what they should do is it's a token. I mean, in, in my, you know, the way I look at it is it's a token. Um, and that token uh, says that, you, you know, you can own certain amounts, amounts of them. You should, what they should do, and there's a company in China that's doing this, is they're taking these tokens and they're backing them with gold. So it's a token that keeps up, just like the dollar used to be. It's a token that keeps up with who owns this token. And that token is backed by something real. That's the only thing. That's what we need to end up going to because gold has been around for 5,000 years. It's been a currency for, it, it, it basically is a currency. Um, you know, we don't barter with it like we have, but it's the only currency that hasn't lost the value you know, it's only gained value or withheld its value over time because uh, there's limited supply of it. I mean, we dig up a little bit out of the ground every year, but for the most part, we need something that's backed by something real in the real world. And Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar neither uh, fits that bill. Yeah, but you made a couple of good points there. That's you know that I really didn't think about before until I was that guy talking on that podcast today about Bitcoin is. And that's one of the hypes about it is it does decentralize the currency. Like it, the government has no way they can do anything with, you know, like they cannot control Bitcoin at all. Like right now the government can, the reason the dollar is worth anything because it's currently still controlled technically by the government. They can move interest rates around, do this, do that. But Bitcoin cannot be controlled by the government. So you can't just start printing more and making it worthless. But the other thing is, it's like, 
like we have the dollar, Europe has the euro, Mexico has the peso. Bitcoin is like a worldwide accepted, like in Bitcoin in Korea is Bitcoin. Bitcoin in China is Bitcoin. It's not like you got to go transfer stuff, keep up with how much it's worth. Like Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, which really connect. And then it's like, um, like I said, the government has no control. So it's just person to person with, um, you know, the money. Yeah, P2P, it's it's uh, like LimeWire, but better. Hopefully it ain't like LimeWire. That, that shit would destroy your computer real fast. Take 24 hours, download a half, one and a half songs. Right, <laughs> and blow it up and get the, you know, some kind of blued out screen that your computer doesn't work anymore. Those were the days. Yeah, <laughs> yep, those were the days. We got the... Uh, you want to hear a funny story? Well, this ain't that funny. I, I got, you might have an opinion on this and it probably should get on the podcast just in case something happens. And this is kind of going to go to the intro, but we got stuck on Bitcoin real fast. I came home today from work, checked the, went to check the mail, checked the mailbox. You know what I found in there? I found a raw piece of Texas toast <laughs> in my mailbox. Does so if anyone's listening to this and you have heard that um you know that's like a sign for something like someone's trying to tell me something be sure to let let us know but um if you're the one who did it you're coming to my house knock on the door do know I will pull the gun out we've already got her got her loaded and ready if we need it but um yeah I found a, a piece of Texas toast raw wasn't cooked wasn't cooked that was the only thing in the mailbox like the ones with like the garlic on them. Yes, like one of the big, thick pieces of bread with the garlic on it, but like a frozen one that wasn't cooked. And I, I don't know if I pissed somebody off or someone thinks we're hungry. What does that do? I don't know what the, the mailman was, um, didn't have anywhere to throw it, so he just like, let me stick it in here. Or uh, what if he was eating it raw and was like, had the mail? There's no bites out of it at all. It's so this is the one theory that it's, it's not a great, I mean, it's a good theory, but it's going to sound kind of depressing. So the guy that lives across the street, old, old guy. I'm not sure if he's completely sane or not. I've had many conversations with this guy and I'm not convinced that he is fully there mentally. The first conversation I had is when, when I first moved in the house, we were doing some work on the house and he like started talking, he's like, oh yeah, what are y'all doing over there? He's like telling me, he's like, oh yeah, so-and-so, you know, they did this, this, and this. But the guy he said that he was talking about that who did these house renovations, he's not who I bought the house from. And the other people lived there at least two years. So who knows how long ago this guy lived. He acted like that guy was there yesterday before I moved in. But wow. real nice, real nice guy. He did did um tell me his wife's on oxygen tanks if the power goes out, they got multiple generators to run me a cord across the street. <laughs> and every time we're outside, he wants to pet the dog. But um, no, the theory, my girlfriend said it, and it's like, kind of makes sense. Because again, I've had two or three conversations and neither, none of them is like, that guy's fully there. But he does mow his grass and stuff and do a lot of work outside. So he does, he's not like incapable. He like does stuff. But the conversations did not, Seem all right. What if he thought that was the microwave? <laughs> He's like, damn it, some bitch ain't getting any hotter. I don't know, but yeah. So that's that's a weird, like, 
I don't I know. heard that. I did a quick Google search to see if uh, anything come up. I just got like. I didn't everybody. find anything. Yeah, I did. So I Google searched it too, and all I saw was Texas toast recipes. Yeah. Stuff. So who knows? If, I, if I'm not on the podcast later this week, it's whoever did the Texas toast. I didn't know. So sometimes Follow the, the breadcrumb. The breadcrumb. Follow the so, bread. And not, not the money trail either. But sometimes, um, so the first thing that came to my head, which is probably not even close to right, was we put the dog outside on his thing sometimes. And sometimes he's like barking at shit and doing all that. You know how the old, you know, I don't even know that they do it anymore, but old people, have you ever heard of old people talking about dipping hot dogs and antifreeze and putting it out? Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah, like kill like dogs. Killing dogs. Yeah. Yeah, that. so I thought maybe that was like a, I thought the first thing that came to my mind was he barking a lot out there. This is like a warning. Like, here's a Texas toast. I don't know. No clue what it like, is. Your dog don't shut the hell We're up and give him some antifreeze on some toast. That's what came to my mind originally, but I don't think the Texas, I don't think the toast is dipped in antifreeze. I know what antifreeze smells and tastes like. It's sweet. And it didn't smell like you've been, it that's what's like wrong with you. You've been drinking that damn antifreeze. No, um, that's uh John's been to our house. He, he knows my family's real big into like cars and racing and stuff. So that's one of the things I learned is that's how you determine what fluid is leaking. So like if it's on like a black top, you can't see. Well, you just get your big old swig. Lick it off the ground. Yeah, that's what that's what my dad told me. You just put your finger in it, just stick it on your tongue. You won't hurt you. You're gonna die but of cancer. There's different. No different fluids. Damn. No, you're not drinking it. It's just like a little like different fluids taste like different things. Antifreeze is sweet. Transmission fluid is sweet. Brake fluid. So maybe you don't have to. So normally you don't have to do it to antifreeze. The only reason I know what it tastes like because you work under the car and it was pouring in my face one time. You ain't got to taste antifreeze. It's green, orange, like you can tell what it is. But the ones you can't really tell is transmission fluid and brake fluid. They're both. Yeah, you got to get a big old so swig of that. Yeah, so transmission fluid tastes good. It's like a really sweet, it tastes awesome. If you don't believe me, taste some transmission fluid. It tastes sweet. Uh, brake fluid, however, is disgusting. It tastes terrible. But so you, you get a lot here on the just swing it podcast. Now next time you got a leak, next time you got a leak and it's purple, give it a taste. If it's sweet, it's tr- it's your transmission. And if it's um, not sweet and tastes terrible, it's brake fluid. You want it to taste terrible because tr- brake stuff is easier to fix than transmission stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, that was a discussion on Texas host and cars. Anyone knows what's wrong with Chris? It's because he's been drinking car fluids. <laughs> hey, I've had a lot of fluids. I'll be having conversations with you in a couple years, and you ain't gonna be all there either. I let me put Texas Toast in other people's uh, mailbox. This thing is a microwave. No, the, that's oh, one yeah. of the worst car working working experience because I ever remember we was like working on this gas line and we had to take it apart but it's got the gas in it and my dad was like all right you got to sit down there and hold the clamp on there and he's like you know screw get the clamp screwed tight where it um cuts the gas off because we're you know unplugging so it's like you got to un- undo it first so it's going to be pouring out so you got to get the clamp tight before it stops and I'm like laying underneath it it's like running in my face this is how this is um, how you, like, kids these days don't know stuff about this. 
this is why the society is soft and you know our generation's the last not as soft as generation believe it or not i know some people think otherwise but lay it under the car and you got to get the clamp tight to shut the gas off and it's just like running in my face and i'm like he's like are you are you shutting it off we're losing gas everywhere i'm like no it's it, like literally going into my eyes and stuff and he's like oh that's he's like that's part of it that's going to happen he's like you got to figure it out so i'm just running gas is going in my eyes my mouth nose and i'm trying to work a screwdriver to get this clamp tight it's terrible terrible Oh God! Take your car to the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> Take us some bitch to the dealership. I ain't working on that. All right, we might as well get into the actual conversation today, even though whatever we're about to talk about now is not going to be even close to as educational as useful as what we just discussed. But uh, today we're going to move on and start jogging with John for in our technical analysis type of arena. Uh, we're going to talk about another indicator that is the ODD indicator or on balance volume. Of course, uh, as it says in the name, this kind of attracts the volume. I'll let John talk a little bit more about it and then I'll give my discussion final points on what he says as per normal. But before we start, um, the ODD indicator is basically created in 1963 by a guy named Joseph Granville. It was put in a book called Granville's New Key to Stock Market Profits. Um, John, if you want to read this book, it's available on Amazon for just $14.95. You can get the book that talks about this ODB if we're not good enough um, discussing it. But anyhow, John, go ahead. What was the guy's name again? Joseph Granville. So the book's called Granville's New Key to Stock Market Profits. You can tell that guy's got an ego. He put his name in the title. This ain't new key to stock market profits. This is Granville's new key to stock market profits. He ain't playing with you, you bullshitters, but still his idea. <clears throat> yeah, so that's uh, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize who, um, who invented it or came up with it. But I've been watching a lot of youtubers that stream in the mornings when the markets are open or even some of them at night with the futures and i know there's a lot of people use indicators uh that's based on volume <clears throat> uh, this is one that i've looked into a little bit in the past um i haven't done any modeling around it but i kind of plan to look into it and kind of see what i come up with in the future but anyways um, Chris, you know, brought it up today about going over it. And so I had to like take a little bit of a review, but basically, you know, all these indicators are based on periods of time and that time interval can be whatever you want. So if you want to look at five minute bars, you know, like if you're looking at candlesticks, you can look at each candlestick equals five minutes. That could be a period or each candlestick equals one hour. That could be a period. So you can look at this at any time frame just be sure. like or whatever you know if you're trying to be a day trader i would uh say look at like a five minute uh chart or a one minute chart if you want to be like a swing trader or like from the next day maybe a 15 minute chart or an hour chart or if you're just trying to be an investor maybe you look at the four hour or eight hour or day chart something to that extent but anyway just be sure to pick um you know pick a period that works for what your actual think about what your actual goal is for looking at it and that doesn't mean it doesn't have to necessarily like you're a day trader you're only looking five minute chart think about what your goal for it is if you're using this to make a trade 
then yeah, you're looking at shorter term charts on day trade. But just because you're day trade don't mean you can't look at the day chart. Maybe you look at it at the beginning of the day to try to figure out what direction we could be moving in to get a general idea. So you could look at a different period. Make sure the period you're picking fits with the goal you have in mind to look at. Otherwise, you're going to get way more false readings. Yeah, and that's a really great point. And, you know, a lot of traders, they look at the bigger time frames to give them an overall direction of trend. And then they go to the smaller time frames or, you know, vice versa, I guess, depending on your trading strategy. Like Chris said, um, you, if you're a day trader, maybe you look at the day chart just to see the trend of the market. And then you go to the five minute chart to pick your entry point. Um, yeah, because it's... Um, if you know you look at if you're a day trader and in your head you're thinking we should be down and then you go you go look at this before the say that before the market starts and it's saying we're going to trend up day that might tell you not to have a bunch of short positions during the day that may say that your positions you know maybe just trade on one side and you know pick your indicators for going up rather than down and vice versa like you don't if the actual trend by the end of the day is going to end up being higher than it started, then uh, you can still play down because there's dips and stuff during the day, but your overall direction is up. Yes. And, you know, when we're looking at this indicator, basically what it does is when you go from one period to the next. So if you start on the first period, it takes the volume that, you're at in this period and if you go up it just adds the the amount of volume that you had in that time period and if you go down it subtracts it so say so do an example with the period is like one day because that's like a not a bunch of it won't be yeah and this is one uh I, i'm gonna actually let you do that chris because i think you you hit it very um precisely on your explanate on the explanation yeah, so just for an example of this, like John said, we had, um, as a definition, well, we'll get to why, what you use it for a second. I'll just, John told you what it was, we'll do the example. Um, basically, like John said, if you take, let, let's do an example, and I think you'll understand that better. Let's say the period we're using is one day. So let's say today we're trading, it's the end of the day. Let's say, let's do a low number. Let's just do an easy number to use to make it easy. Let's say we had 100,000 shares traded today. So that's our, we're starting today. So our current OBV, 100,000. All right, so tomorrow we wait. And then at the end of the day, we see how many shares traded. Tomorrow, 200,000 shares traded. So it went up. So that means tomorrow, and the market, the price is up. That means tomorrow, you're going to add the 200,000 to 300,000. So our current volume is at 300. Our OBV is currently at 300,000. Well, let's say the next day we have a down day and only 50,000 shares traded. Well, it's a down day. So now we're going to subtract. So we had 300,000 as our current OBV. We're going to subtract the 50,000 shares. So now our OBV is 250,000 shares. So as you see, it's like, um, it's a continually calculated unit based on whether we're up or based on whether we're down. If you're up, you add the volume. If you're down, you subtract the volume. That's basically what it is. But what that means 
So you probably ask yourself right now, how do you use it? Because what, what does the numbers mean? The numbers really, do, the numbers doesn't mean anything. This is like a, it's a trend. You want to know whether the market's, where the volume is going up or whether the volume is going down. The actual number that the volume is, isn't as important. If you're watching, yeah, go ahead, John. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> yeah, basically if the market's up, it's up. And if the market's down, it goes down. And the amount that it goes up or down by is how much volume is in that day or that time period. Yeah, and the reason that's important because in general, that's the way the price would move. If you think about it, if, if the price is going up, 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 we would expect more people to be trading the volume. So let, let's take a step back. When you look at volume, that does not necessarily mean that everyone's buying. Some of that is people selling. The volume is all of the shares in one. So just because you got a higher volume doesn't mean it's going up or if you got a lower volume, it's going down. So that's why you look at the, you know, the direction of the market. If it's up, that's why you add it. If it's down, that's when you subtract because that tells you the direction the price move kind of tells you how many, how much of the volume was buying versus how much of the volume was selling basically. That's the whole, whole purpose here is that if the market's going up and volume's going up, that means you have, you likely have volume that is backing the uptrend. So if the market is going up and the volume is continually going up, that likely means the market's going to continue up. And I, I keep saying market, but you can do this on any individual equity. It's not like a specific, you can do it on anything just like anything else. But say the price, say the price is going um, down and the volume is going up still, that tells you that the, there's volume in selling that's backing the down move. So the way you can use it is if say the market's going up, but the volume is going down. So there's a divergence, they're going in opposite direction. That normally denotes that there's nothing backing the current trend and it's probably about to flip. And that kind of goes back to how, why it was invented. It was in, this Joseph Granville guy invented it to basically try to track, you know, smart money versus retail investors. So when I say smart money, I'm not calling retail investors dumb. I'm just saying, you know, we're, smart money, we're talking about institutional investors, hedge funds, pensions, stuff like that. People who, you know, buy way, 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 more shares, and they normally have access to information a lot sooner. Um, so it was invented kind of the track where they're doing. So say we're looking at stock price and it's going flat. It, the stock price is going flat, but you see the volume picking up. That doesn't make sense because the stock price is not moving. When you see that happen, when you see that happening, that normally means the price is going to jump in one direction. Now you got to, the thing with this is you got to use it paired with other indicators to kind of know what way it's going because it tells you nothing about price, only about volume, which could be up or down. Um, but basically, so if you see it do that, it's going to jump. And then the way, normally the way it works is institutional investors say they buy into something because they know more. So they're getting in first. As the price starts going up, then retail investors want to jump on board and get part of the, the pie. 
And as the retail investors jump on board, the price is going to continue, continue going up until the institutional investors quit buying and start selling. Well, when they start selling in the very, very minute amount of time, the market, the price may continue going up, but you know, they're selling. So you may see the huge increase in volume, which may denote that it's going down or about to turn because and that, that's one of the things here is retail investors, John, um, I assume you would agree, they're not going to have a huge impact on like a volume standpoint. Now, that's why the people are complaining about Robinhood and that sort of things right now because it, they feel like it is affecting volumes, which makes their logarithms not work. And that's why they're pissed off. Basically, more people buying, so now their stuff doesn't work. But um Normally, the volume is going to be controlled by institutional investors buying tons of shares at one time, which is why you see the, the spikes. Yeah, I think that the retail investors tend to chase markets. Yeah, that's um, exactly right. And I think that the institutions, they kind of use that to their advantage. So when people start chasing the market, they'll start selling into that retail and let them take the losses um and i have talked to and we, he was on the show and you know we all talked to him but i talked i sent him some emails here recently um talking to uh douglas on trading and he talked about how you can kind of see he uses uh, volume weighted metrics and if if you guys don't know who that is on youtube check out douglas on trading he is a futures trader. He uses Bookmap and some other tools, and he he said that you can see in the book where a lot of like retail is. Now I don't know if it if it's a hundred percent that that's retail, or if he just knows by like kind of looking at you know how it is. I don't really know his I setup. Think, I think it's probably by the the numbers because you know how many lots it is and things. Yeah, like, like when that. an institutional investor, you know, a retail investor is not buying. 100,000 shares at a time or 200,000 shares at a right. time. So when these huge orders come in, bookmaps similar to like, I feel like a lot of people know about Cheddar Flow, which tells you when, you know, big orders are coming in like the dark pool or like basically like a big order comes in that's like weird. It, it'll come on Cheddar Flow and then it's like, oh, this order is coming in. So the price is about to reflect this. That's why all bookmap and the Cheddar Flow is based on. And then Cheddar Flow also tells when weird option buys and stuff come in but yeah i think it's more the blocks how much is coming in yeah so he was looking at that and he would say the majority of the time that the retail investors are wrong on the move he said every now and then they'll nail it and they'll get right but he said a majority of the time they're wrong on it and you can kind of see that it'll blow through like their stops and things it'll you know it'll it'll blow through that and it's kind of interesting. I think these volume tools definitely can help and you can kind of see like, you know, more of under the hood of what's going on versus just looking at price. I think the problem with a lot of investors in, and even technical analysis people is they just look at price. And I think if you can add some things, I, I don't think all of them, but I think most of them, you know, their technical analysis, they look at price and momentum. But I think um, you know, some of them use indicators for volatility, but I think if you can use price, volatility, volume, and then also use like maybe 
some macro or maybe like a strategic thing like selling puts instead of buying shares, that kind of thing. You need to have a multi-factor model and not just look at one thing, I think. Yeah, so this one, this OBV indicator, it's on volume, but it's actually, it is a momentum indicator. It just has nothing to do with the price. So this is a good one, in my opinion, to pair with your RSI or, um, you know, the commodity one we talked about last time. Uh, because it's, it's still a momentum indicator, but it has nothing to do with price. So if, you know, multiple Other than the direction of price, I guess. It, yeah, it gives you kind of a direction of price and kind of tells you, you know, when it may turn. Like the divergence is the big thing. It's like if the price is going up or down, it can go up or down, and the volume all of a sudden is going down, it doesn't support the move that's taking place, which tells you something's off. And that's the institutional investors, you know, um, ceasing buying. But like John said, the retail investors are normally chasing, which is not necessarily, it's not great, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because hedge funds are always going to know more information. So if you're a new investor, just quit, stop right now. Let's go ahead on the show. Stop right now, take a breath. Maybe even say it out loud. You are not smarter than the market. So like if you know, if there's some type of news that you know, the market already knows that news. There's no, Hallelujah. And if, if not, then that news is illegal to trade away. So like, if you talk to the CEO of a company and he told you something, maybe the market doesn't know that, but your ass is going to jail if you trade on that. Um, so, so you gotta, <laughs> John's dying, but so you, you, if, if you know a piece of information, the, the market already knows that information. So that's why you can hear, you hear people say it's about talking about setting the hook is, you know, retail um, institutional investors run it up, run it up, and then it gets to a point they take their profits out. And if you think about it, this is the one part that I think is, a, is part of the issue, John, in my opinion, it's, it's really off topic compared to the OBD, is, you know, say I buy a share of something at $20. I buy less shares than an institutional investor, obviously. So in order for me to make a certain amount of money, I need a much larger move in the price of the stock, right? Because I have less shares, so I need a larger move. Well, now, if you think about from the institutional investor standpoint, they have enough capital to buy a shit ton of shares at the beginning. Thus, a small move is a lot of money. So they don't need a huge move. So while you're, so like once the stock starts moving, it gets to a point the retail investors is waiting for it to probably double that so they can make, you know, whatever they deem the right amount of money. However, for an institutional investor, that's already a point of a lot of money. They take their profits out and it kills the stock back down. So I think that's part of the issue is the, the money for a, such a larger volume is such amount more than what you get at retail. So they don't, you don't need as large of a move. So you're not sitting waiting on, you know, a 200, 300% move basically. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I think there's some good points in there, for, um, you know, on that. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting is all these indicators are just another way of looking at the market. But I think that, you know, a lot of people hate on indicators, but I think they're good tools. And I think 
if you do some research on them, I think you might find something special. Yeah, and to put in there, if you're an investor, if you're a buy and hold for 20 years, yeah, indicators don't mat matter as much. And a lot of a lot of people who talk down the technical analysis and traders are more probably like now I'm gonna use him as an example. He don't talk down to traders, but it's more like someone like our buddy Colin. He's a long-term investor. All that matters to him is dollar cost averaging. When you're a long-term investor, DCA is basically all that matters because you're you're going to continually buy in that. So your price is going to average out over time. So as long as it is going up, you make money because you're waiting for such a long term deal. But, you know, for a trader, you need to get in and out. You need to know when you get in and out. And, you know, if you're a longer term swing trader, so if you're talking like months in the future, then macros, I feel like, is is the probably the best because you're it's a lot of like what's going on in the market. Where is the value at? Stuff like that. If you're a day trader, however, I, I'm starting to lean towards some of these indicators and technical analysis the best because you're making some multiple trades or even like, you know, not even day trade, but like, in, like the next day or two days, you're making so many trades that it not, doesn't necessarily matter what's going on in the market. It really, like if you're day trading, it really doesn't matter what's going on in the market because you're jumping in and out. All you care about is that single day. So you need to use things where it's like, this hits, I do this, this hits, I do that. And I think this volume, I think volume, not necessarily the OBB is useful, but there's a bunch of volume tools. I think volume in general can be a huge tool to day traders because it basically, you know, if a lot of volume is coming in, the price is going to reflect that. That's simple supply and demand. So even if it takes a second, it's going to reflect in one way, either up or down. So by looking at volume, you can, you know, you kind of gauge when a big move is about to happen or if it's going to stay stagnant, basically. Yeah, it's definitely something um, I'm going to look more into. I've looked into it a few months back, um, but I kind of just stuck with uh, some of the, uh, I guess, more typical um, indicators to start with. But I think uh, I think it's a good one to look at. I'm, I'm going to do some more digging on it, but uh, yeah. Yes. So this is, if you've been with some show for a while, you know we do some insight into how our show works sometimes, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, you know, we don't always know the order of which you know, to talk about these things. So at the beginning, it was super, super easy to pick the order because we literally started from the very beginning. If you knew nothing about the stock market, like what is a stock? But, you know, we've been doing this for almost a year now. Which is crazy. We're getting into a lot more, you know, complex topics because our listeners um, have listened to us since the beginning. So you should know stuff about the market by now. And if not, you can go back to one of our older episodes and find the topic. Even if you don't listen to the whole show, you can listen to it. So it's there to be found from our show. Um, so as we go, we're, you know, everyone doesn't use every, hold up, everyone doesn't use every topic um, that we talk about, including us. Like we talked about topics that we don't use because you don't need to use a hundred different indicators to trade. You pick two or three. So you got to decide. So to decide what we talk about on the show sometimes, it's like, hmm, which order should we talk about things? What do, you know, what can be important. So one of the things I did, which is, you know, how I came up with, we should talk about this one today, is actually we're doing a technical analysis series right now. We did an option series, and we'll do more on options later because there's still more to discuss. 
but with zoic technical analysis theory, I basically typed in, you know, top indicators needed for technical analysis and clicked on a Bestopedia. They had an article there on like the seven top or 10 top. This was listed as the number one indicator to know for technical analysis trading. So they basically, so basically that tells you how I'm, I'm letting you know this because that tells you how important this is that other people, you know, we talked about RSI and all this other stuff. Um, this was at the top of multiple lists, basically in, you know, what, what indicators you should look at. So when you, when it is at the top of, you know, a multiple people's list, that probably means that it's important and useful. So that's the reason I chose to do that today. Um, John has stepped away from the computer. I have no clue what he's doing. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, John has like 50 computers in his room. One's across the room, and that's solely for his, the trading challenge. He's got the podcast and zooming up on one. Um, the one that he looks in the camera in is on a different one, so you can't even see all the computers on the screen. The one I can see myself on a different computer than the one John looks into, but he also trades on one, and then he's got one across the room. So um, John's got a lot going on, but uh, he took a picture of something on the futures. What are we taking pictures of? Just profits. You know, I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> yes, and before we got on the show, it took us a second to hit record because John had a trade in MES, and when we first started, we first got on Zoom before we started the recording, he was like, this is where I bought in at. I got my stop loss here. Um, I got my take profits. He's like, I got, I see it. So John's yeah. pulled up on screen 337 profit. Was that during the show? Uh, yeah. So John made 337. Well, that was the trade that we were talking about earlier. Oh, it was still on? Uh, yeah, on the challenge account, it closed uh, about the same time that it did in my in my account. But the uh, challenge had, account made yeah. uh, three thirty seven fifty. So you had my real account. I just done a MES contract, so it was like thirty. Is probably it? Yeah, it was. It was a uh, thirty. It was. It was a, a tenth the size of the the big account. So it was. Um, I made like thirty. $33 or something like that. Yeah, so you must have had the ES in the trading account and MES in his personal account. So he had two trades on at once. And he was like, by the time the end of the show, I want this to hit the take profits. Well, it almost hit take profits before we hit record. So we were just sitting there watching it. And it literally kept going from like the SPY or the MES future, basically the S&P 500 future or whatever. Kept, it got to like a quarter below his take profit multiple times and it would bounce like way down and then hit a quarter. So it took us a while to get started. But John finally uh, got the close and we're making some money out here. That's right. Um, and, you know, we got to generate some alpha up in this bitch. <laughs> Especially after Friday. I had about three. Well, I guess I take that back. I still have about the same alpha because the market dropped so much that it went down too. So like I'm still technically doing pretty good on. Um, but speaking of making some money, uh, let's go ahead and go to our buy and sell pitch for the week. We'll recap on um, last week's. Oh, mine's horrible. Mine did terrible too. 
and uh, we'll talk about that as we go. As John's going to get pulled up on the screen, I, I assume that all we probably missed on all of them. John Lee finally got a win on you. No, no. I, we'll see. I don't know. I think the dollar probably went up a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm going to short every rally in the dollar and go long every pullback in the overall market. Are you pulling um, up the Yahoo Finance? Yeah, I, I got it ready. Tell me the first ticker. Okay, you're not going to put it on the screen? Yeah. Okay, so John's uh, buy was uh, Bank of America. I don't know the ticker. for. The, oh, yeah, dude, never mind. So... So Bank of America, and basically the reason for this pick um, for the week, well, it's really a longer-term pick. Um, with interest rates, uh, well, with inflation rising, uh, expect interest rates of the 10-year yield to rise. And so with that, that's good for bank lending because they borrow in the short-term, lend to the long-term. So as interest rates rise, they make more money off the difference and uh, that was basically my reasoning for that um we may have a so slight up, we were up job, a lot more but um go ahead and tell me the prices here i'll write down there's something on interest rates i'm gonna bring up that you're gonna enjoy i think good um it computers running a little slow here yeah so if you're new to the show this challenges me me versus John, plus sometimes some of the pivotal trader people. Um, before the market opens on Monday, we pick a stock we like and a stock we dislike for the week. And um, we only look at the prices on Monday at the opening compared to Friday at the close. And, you know, you get a point if you're the best for, for each of the picks. And then at the end of the quarter, there'll be some sort of punishment. John, I figured out what I'm going to do for your punishment, too, since you lost the last two. I'm going to post a poll on Twitter, and we're going to take fan suggestions. So, who, who knows? I, I assume the stock parent will come up with something for you. Heard that. But, uh, all right, what we got, John, for Monday? So, we opened in Bank – so, we opened on Bacon of America at 32.09 on Monday. We closed at 33.01. So, oh, that's a pretty good uptick. You're going to win for sure. Let's see what the percentage of that is. It was going to be a lot more. Look at this. It was doing really well, and then that freaking Friday. Friday my, so my buy stock was up, too, until Friday happened. Look at this. It went all the way up to $34. So that's a pretty good pick, John. You should have traded this one. Um, uh, I'm holding the 10-year uh, the bond, right? I mean, not the bond. I'm long the – S10Y from the small exchange, which is the interest rate uh, or the yield of the treasury, 10-year treasury bond. So I like that play better than the stock. So, you know, it's basically the same play, but for the pick of the week, um, you know, we're, do, we're doing stocks and uh, under, I think, $75 now. Yeah, so $75. this seemed like a good pick. Yeah, so 2.87% up. So that's a decent move for one week. So um, let's go to mine, which was Rocket. Again, it had a decent, it had a decent move, and then Friday happened. So I expect it to be down. John, you're gonna start out strong this week, I think, as far as points. Is Rocket Mortgage? Yeah, RKT. Let's 
So John's getting, if you're watching on YouTube, John's getting pulled up on Yahoo Finance. Again, we don't, we just use Yahoo Finance because it's very easy to look at charts, tell prices and stuff like that. It's nothing like special that we're promoting Yahoo or anything like that over anybody else. They've actually changed this one. Last time we looked, um, short term was bullish, midterm was bullish, and long term was neutral. So now it's the eleventh was Monday, right? Yeah. So now they've switched to the short term bearish, midterm bullish. And honestly, this is another interest rate play. If you're playing interest rates, I mean, it's the mortgage. The, they do yeah, the same thing. Yeah, I'm playing this one because their PE ratio is super, 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 super low, and it's at the low end of its range. I'm actually playing it. You know, solely on like a mechanical, like had nothing to do with the company. I, I see it on Hulu. Um, if you're listening, like if you don't know about Super Bowl Squares, this is something John you probably want to sign up to. I didn't even play it last year. Apparently, my wife and her sister didn't play. They don't even watch football. But Rocket Mortgage, they like sponsor like some of the NFL stuff, and they do the same called Super Bowl Squares. And you basically pick your squares out. You sign up, you pick your squares, and every time the score changes. They pick a couple of squares, and if they pick yours, you win money, basically. Oh, yeah. I've seen the advertisement for it. It's pretty big money, apparently. Yeah. And, like, you win a house and all kinds of shit. Okay, so it opened at 1971. It looks like it closed on the 15th. 1960, so it went down, so no point for me. John gets a point. Yeah, yeah, boy. Started I, actually, I, have, I actually own Rocket Stock, so that kind of sucked. We were doing good, but again, it's it's more. It's not that wasn't like a weak play. It was just like the whole. Um, so John's sell stock was a dollar UUP. I think it probably went up too. Don't don't you think? I haven't looked at. I haven't looked at this, but I think it went up. Um, so UUP is kind of like the index fund for the dollar. It really yeah, it's pretty shitty. It really doesn't move all that much. It's more of like a diversify your portfolio thing, possibly. It, it like doesn't really move. All right. Um, it opened at 2444 and it closed at 2448. So it went up. So no points. <laughs> it went up barely. To, oh my Four goodness. Cents. My sales stock, it went up too. It was Fubo TV. And I still remain that Fubo TV is shit. This was the worst. I picked this stock at the worst possible time. We picked, we do our show on Sunday night. On Monday morning, before the market opened, no, it was Tuesday morning. I take it back. Tuesday morning, before the market even opened, they announced they bought this company called Victory, which is basically a sports gambling company. So it went from, you know, a shitty um, <laughs> knockoff cable company to now they're going to do sports gambling. Um, I actually traded some calls on this, John, made some money. I traded them, I day traded them. I still got out the same day. But it jumped from like $28 to like $36, no, maybe even like $39 in like one day. I didn't play, I didn't play that long. I got in the time the market opened, it was at like 32. I sold out at like 30, when was that like 34? I made like a hundred bucks or something. Um, but the funny thing is, it was at $40 when it opened on Wednesday and immediately dropped back down to barely up more than it was. But anyhow, it opened on, oh boy, it opened on Monday at 26.12. And it closed at 32.13 on Friday, so it went up. 26.12, that's a bullshit number. That makes me start questioning um, 
the Yahoo Finance's open number, to be honest. Because, although that was Monday, I'm, I'm thinking of Tuesday. Shit, yes, you see it there on Tuesday. This is when they bought the company. And all, it happened very quickly in like pre-market. I guess the high was 36.90, not around 39. But either way, that one went um, up, so no points. So John gets one point. John is finally in the lead. I don't know that John's ever been in the lead in this game. We've been doing this a year. Um, anyhow, let's go ahead and pick our new picks, and then I'll go to what I was going to talk about on interest rates. Um, John, what you got for your buy this week? For my buy, let's see. It's got to be some. Uh, actually, it could be pretty much anything. Um, let's see. For my buy, let's do uh, let's do marathon. So, M-R-O. I always hate when John picks marathon because if he even picks the direction right, the stock is so cheap that three cents is going to blow the percentage out the water. What's the sales yeah. stock? They've been doing really well lately. They're getting back to that price range that they were pre-oil uh, going negative. Um, what's my sales stock? I, don't, let me do, I guess I should do my buy. My buy stock is going to be the company called Trinteris or Trit. Um, I own some of the shares, super cheap shares. This is um, a stock parrot special on these shares right here. This is one of his, um, his picks. Um, anyhow, it was doing very, very well. And then it, all of a sudden, like the last hour of Friday, it tanked. It sold off like 25% in like an hour. But um, it's at $8. It's at the low end of this range. As soon as the market closed in after hours, it went up like 10%. So it sold off like 25%. And as soon as the market closed, it went up like 10% in after hours. So that to me tells me that was one of the, and that's one of them, um, you know, and institutional investors like, you know, hooking some people, getting a cheap price and then buying back in. But anyhow, today it's at like under $9. I feel good about it. I own the stock. I plan on keeping it till it gets to 20, around 20. So. It's um, it's not a long-term investment. It's just like a long-term swing trade. Okay, John, what's your sell? Um, Dominion Energy. That's under seventy-five dollars. It's seventy-two. Uh oh, Warren Buffett tanked it. Yeah, I try to tell my parents. That, remember, we had the conversation about me. Yeah, I texted, I texted you as soon as it happened. I was like, Warren Buffett, like, just bought Dominion. Yeah, so I, I tried to get my parents out at $83 a share. They this wouldn't is, do it. This is probably going to be a pretty good pick. I saw the other day, and I don't think – I don't know if it has anything about the menu. I didn't click on it, and I didn't – I just saw half the article. I'm pretty sure Joe Biden said his first day in office, he was ending some permit for some pipeline. It was like a major well, pipeline. Like the, the first day in office, he was shutting out of down. gas now. Well, yeah, Berkshire Hathaway owns it, yeah. Well, the gas part of it, so they, they don't even have a... Yeah, but a, I get you. It was, just, it was a side. It was a side. Oh, gotcha. But, yeah, the, the reason I'm bearish for Dominion is uh, it's another interest rate play. Um, they're a utility company. They offer big yield, and as yields rise, that becomes less attractive. So The problem is, though, I, so I work in the energy business, Except from the engineering, we build, you know, we build foundations for 
um, you know, like energy companies or transmission lines, stuff like that. The energy business is doing pretty is doing pretty well actually. Now Dominion itself, who knows? Like I said, it, it, it's such a big company that a lot can do different things. But the you know power industry currently is pretty good. Uh, my cell is Ozone, which I also own. Um, the only reason I picked this is because this was for a longer term play. This is an e-commerce stock. Um, it shot up a lot at the end of last week, like a all-time highs a lot. I just think it's going to come down a little bit before it continues up, basically. Like, I think it's going to go up. I think it's going to continue up eventually. I just think, you know, where it was at like $52, $53, it's going to go down first. So my pick is Ozone. Um, come back next um, Sunday and, you know, see how we did, and we'll give you our um, new picks. But, uh, John, let's go back to – John was talking about the yield. I got an interesting email today, and uh, it was kind of sugarcoated a little bit. Like, don't freak out. But so this is from the mortgage company that I own my house through, the, the mortgage guy, which he, he's a pretty nice guy. He sent me this email. John's going to like this. It starts off by, if you, if you follow mortgage news, you may have noticed that rates ticked up a bit this week. <laughs> I, I'm not worried though, and you shouldn't be either. And it says why average markets are still historically low. And it says Freddie Mac has been watching mortgage rates for 50 years and the current rates are the low, are among the lowest it's ever documented. So basically you got an email and both people are right. My mortgage person, yeah, interest rates went up a little bit, but they're still at super low levels. But that also tells you that, hey, interest rates are ticking up. Like, don't call, you know, don't, don't freak out if you see interest rates ticking up. That means, that to me means mortgage companies think they're going to go higher a little bit, I think. So, and there, how does that affect your mortgage, Chris? So, there's different types of mortgages. I, I don't know if it affects mine in general. I assume that's a blanket email, but, you know, you got the fixed rate, you got fixed rate mortgages and variable rate mortgage. I think mine's fixed rate. So whatever mortgage rate I got at the beginning, which when it's at super, super low levels, you take the fixed rate mortgage because it's not going to, you want that rate. Um, but you can get a variable rate mortgage, which means your interest rate changes with what changes. So say interest rates are super high, you might want to do a variable rate mortgage because you may get something better in the future. And then sometimes people do fixed rate mortgage. And if it was a little higher, like, um, a person I know, they had bought a house and the rates wasn't as good as they were now. So like last year, they refinanced their house so they could get the current rate, basically. Yeah, and subprime mortgages uh, fluctuate with interest rates too. Um, or you, they might lock you in for a certain amount of time and then it's based on the economies and uh, subprime mortgages is what... Uh, destroyed the uh that's what happened in 2008 is too much loans and people couldn't pay it up back once rates went higher but yeah i mean um that's going to be one of the that's going to be one of the key things to look at here because my prediction is that interest rates go higher um and and i don't know how much higher uh everything looks pretty bullish um i look at the correlations between the dollar interest rates bitcoin the market 
what's interesting is um, gold was very correlated to the US dollar. It's starting to burn off that correlation and become less correlated to the dollar. But Bitcoin, the stock market and the 10 year yield is all negatively correlated to the dollar. So as the dollar goes down, it seems as of right now that those three things are going up. So if we are thinking that we're going to be in a bull market um, and, you know, things are going to do well, which is where I'm at on things, then interest rates will probably go higher too. The problem is, is as interest rates go higher, I would think that that would create a problem on a lot of companies that have debt that need to roll. So we could have interest rates going into another big nasty sell-off. Potentially, but and but kind of like what you said at the beginning, a lot of people are expecting interest rates to rise, but how much higher? And we're so low right now that you know interest rates, you know, going up some isn't really that big. So on the ten-year yield, we went to I think we went to like 0.5. We're already back to like 1.1. This thing could go to pro. It could go if it starts rising pretty drastically to two, or to like 1.5. We may have a problem. Maybe, hopefully not. But uh, hey, and I will go back bearish in a couple months if I start seeing data that doesn't look good. The bear will come back. <laughs> it's uh, well, we'll see. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword, like John said there about talking about how things are correlated interest rates a dollar bitcoin john in about two or three days is going to be a proud owner of some bitcoin so he's now a bitcoin guy so if the dollar burns down bitcoin flies up so um and if the dollar burns down interest rates go up and john's playing interest rates so that would say that he wants a dollar to burn but the problem is we still need to use the damn dollar. So it's like, you can't, you can't. Well, it's not what I want. It's what I think is going to happen. But what so. I'm saying is for your like positions, it's like the dollar needs to burn, but we don't need it to go down too much because we still need to buy stuff at the store. <laughs> so it's still, right, exactly. It's, like it's making my pay less significant. The way Bitcoin has been moving, you might make, you make more, up for it. Yeah, it might just drop it, <laughs> maybe double, who knows? But, um, yeah, before we get out of here, let's go to our, our last segment. John, let me share. Oh, he's already going to let me do it. Um, let's go check out what the market news. I've literally haven't looked at the market at hardly none. Um, Look at that chess.com, baby. This weekend. Hey, if any chair. of you guys are playing chess out there on chess.com, you can uh, send me a challenge at uh, Barella Investments. Yep, or you can send one to just swinging it or Chris McBride underscore 12. You will beat me. <laughs> um, but I'll play you. John's got pretty good chess. We were playing the other day. I haven't played in a long time. He, he beat me a couple of times with about three, four moves. And it was there for a second. Was you looking at, um, with, did you Google search like certain moves there at the beginning? So I, I so you, you must've just been doing them, um, kind of mentally. So I, I was going to try to get you. So I searched up good openings and I had a list of openings for like, if this person does this, do this move. Like just, but just like the first two or three moves, like setting up openings, I was trying to set up some openings and you always did the exact thing that I didn't need you to do, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then on your side, you set up the openings. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I've been uh, I, I've learned a good bit about uh, chess in the last few months. Oh like yeah, we're um that's on chess.com, but we're going to Google stock market right now and see what we can find. And if you're new to the show, basically me and John's going to run down the first page of news articles and we're going to give our opinions based solely on the um, the title. We're not going to read the, the article. So the first one, CNBC, the Dow future rise 100 points after Wall Street's losing the week. My, my um, thing here is, and I was talking to my grandpa on Saturday like about this. It's Wall Street's losing week. The market closed barely down on Thursday. It was basically Friday. The market slammed down on Friday. So basically, they, they call it a losing week because in total it was down more on Friday than it was when it opened. But it's hard to call a losing week um, losing when it's green four out of five days. Yeah, and this was two hours ago, it looks like. Yeah, John's made even more money since then. So, <laughs> but that was funny. Uh, having a conversation with my grandpa because he's real big in the stock market all of a sudden. He's retired. He just watches the news or whatever. And uh, we're in two different positions, age range. I said though that he was talking about like, oh, and he's an old man from West Virginia. So I'm going to preface that. And I mean, you get what you get. Uh, Friday was. You still look at the stock market. Friday was down off a lot, and it was down on Thursday. It's like Biden's getting in the office next week. We're about to go down even farther. <laughs> and I, my my response was, um, I hope it goes down more. I'm trying to buy more stuff at better value. He he did not like that comment because he's in retirement. He wants that son of a bitch go up up up. He, he's Dave Portnoy. He stocks going up. So he did not like um, the comment that I hope we drop a little bit so I can buy stuff cheaper. But um, Heard that. anyhow, next one from uh, Motley Fool, the stock markets, telltale, okay. Telltale crash signal is back. We've discussed what we think about the Motley Fool. Uh, depending on what time of the day you look at it, they could be bullish or bearish, you never know. Like they'll, my that's my problem with them is they give, they, and it, honestly, it's not the it's not Motley Fool's fault. They have different writers, but when we're talking about something in the stock market, I think this is important. It's not like sports. They give, um, you know, like one article, and somebody, a different person, will write another article, and they feel differently. Like before, I was a bull, John was kind of bearish. Um, so we had different opinions, but we're on here talking about, we're on here explaining our opinions at the same time. Whereas on the Motley Fool, they get posted to the website from different articles and they'll be contradicting articles back to back. And that's like, says the exact opposite thing. Hear that? Or they give you really cookie cutter stuff. That's like, anyone's like, well, yeah, if I do that, uh, I'll be fine. But the problem is they take out how much money some of that perfect stuff would cost. Anyhow, I'm not even gonna read that. Live Mint, I don't even know what that, I've never seen this one before. Five stock markets trends to watch out for this year. Um, again, we're not reading the article, so I'm gonna let John give you five market trends to watch out for this year on the spot. Give me five trends to watch out for this year. I'm not sure what that means, like. Trends, five things to look out for. Five, but not like this stock's going up tomorrow. Five trends, kind of like you said, you already started with one, interest rates are going up. Oh, oh, oh. Dollars um, going down. So for what time frame is he so much for? For this year, the year. Um, I think 
for the for the end of the year. Oh shit. Hot um, trends for now to the end of the so year. So Bitcoin higher, commodities lower, um, stock market about the same. Um more volatility. John's John's sentiment is changing fast because he went with stock market about the same and two episodes ago. No, 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 no. You said this is different time frames. This so, is the year. No, we talked about the year a couple episodes ago. I we literally gave our prediction in number for the end of the year. I'm pretty sure you gave like a seven or eight percent increase. Yeah, but but you have to understand, I don't really look in things in years. Um, I kind of look in things in like three month inter intervals. So when you ask me for a year, I really don't know. I'm just kind of pulling something out of my coochie. I don't have a coochie, by the way. <laughs> by the way, if you were wondering, John does have a coochie. He is taking donations. He will show it to you for money. It is 2020. Um, but he's, he's not a feminine. I mean, he's not a feminist. He will show you his cooter for money. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. Next one's from Investors Business Daily. The Dow Jones futures rise, the stock market rally pullback. We already talked about that. And then Tesla model Y China deliveries begin. Um, that's obviously big for Tesla if they're delivering more cars in more countries. I mean, there's no, you can't really argue that more production is worse. Um, next one, Bloomberg, Asian stocks climb, treasuries, yields, edge higher, and more. Um, that's basically it, market wraps. Um, we just talked about that. Treasury yields um, going higher. I know nothing about Asian stock market, so we'll go ahead and skip that. I know Alibaba. And they, did you hear that story? Apparently, like, the Alibaba CEO, like, just went missing or something. Oh, so yeah, like, I heard about that's that. That's, like, a huge deal, I think. Well, um, communist. Whoa. We, we support uh, people who believe in communism to listen to our show, but... I do not. <laughs> we need hey, more listen, I will respectfully tell you that you are wrong for believing in communism. Oh, we did not tell you... We did not say that we will agree with you. We'll tell you you're wrong and probably even not respectfully. But we do approve of you to listen to our show. You might get a little more American juice in you. Yeah. Bring you over to the... Uh, to the dark side. This ain't the dark side. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, next one, CNBC. The wealthy are investing like a market bubble is here or at least near. John, what does that mean? We've been in a bubble for 10 years. Keep yeah, going. but what, what does that mean? Like, what are they mean by the wealthy are investing like a market bubble is here? Are they, are they saying the... The wealthy is like hook, line, and sinker, and people like blowing it up, and then at some at some point, I think the I, I think all gonna take their profits out and tank it, kind of like SoftBank did. I think the wealthy are like hesitant right now. Um, if I'm looking at this, oh, I think they're talking. Um, I've read a little bit. This is cheating. I think they're talking about the strategy, like the you know we're talking about you how much percent of bonds you have, how much percent of commodities, how much percent, I think yeah, and, we're um, saying that the percentages are starting to change like it might go down. So if I look at the um, futures uh, options and futures contracts, most people are still, I mean, the consensus is short the market right now. So 
that supports my case to be bullish instead of short. So I kind of feel like people are hedging a lot right now. If you look at the premium on puts, uh, they've been bid up pretty pretty drastically. And the one thing I'll say with that is people, you know, whether they're journalists or, or even individuals, some of that's going to look at that as, you know, people are hedging, they're starting to get hesitant. But also one thing to, one thing to think about is think about how much we have risen in the last year. If you have been in on a bunch of positions in some of these moves this whole time, I'm start I would start pulling profits and hedging too. You've done made so much money while risking. You know what I'm saying? Like you've made so much already. So it's kind of like we're hedging, but it's like maybe it's just, you know, at some point you gotta pull some profits. Next one is the stock market open. Here are the hours for Martin Luther King Junior Day. We have done discussed that. Um, it wasn't open, but futures um, kind of was. Bitcoin was open. Barron's, it's a stock market in a bubble right now. Investor Jeremy Grantham says so. Is he right? We just talked about that. We won't talk about that again. You know, it's funny. Um, I think we're going to start seeing trends with these articles. because we, um, When we first started the show, we talked about the news a lot on the show. There for a while, you saw a bunch of people talking about the market being in a bubble. And then here for the last month or two, I kind of saw the disappearance of bubble articles. And now they're back. So... Who knows? Yahoo Finance, stock market news for January 18th. Um, close. We don't care. Um, and then Molly Full, again, new to the stock market. Three things to know before you buy airline stocks. John hates airline stocks. They are a low margin business. Like, there's not, like, a lot of money to be made. It's normally high debt, low margin. But at the same time, we're in a hot day pandemic. If you can... If you can if you can get American Airlines for $14 a share, you're probably going to make some money on it. Say <laughs> <Do> that again. <laughs> I said we're, we're in a hot dang pandemic. I don't, I don't say the GD word, which is the word that most people would use there. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was great. But, um, yeah, so, again, it's like airlines, not the best investment because the business margin so low, but that's so high. But when you shut down, there's still value there. You just got to be smart. Um, but that's pretty much all the news. Um, so that's pretty much all we have with the show. Before we jump out of here, let me remind you that this week we should be starting the videos. I think John has his video ready, right, for the YouTube series. Um, I have a little. I have. A little it's bit coming, more. It's coming out on Thursday, though, right? You're yeah, it's out. coming out on Thursday. Mine will be out on Wednesday. Um, honestly, I haven't heard from Dustin Fugate in a while, so I can't tell you whether he'll have a video or not. I, I don't know where he's went. So hopefully he's uh, well, his family's well, because we have not heard from him in a good in a good bit. So if you're listening, Dustin, we haven't heard from you in a good bit. But um, my show will be coming out Wednesday night on dividend investing. It's called uh, Check Out My Drip. This week will be a, kind of an intro to dividends when we talk about compounding and stuff like that. And the next week we'll be getting into the individual tickers. Um, John's will be coming out on Thursday. It's called um, Wolf Alpha Trading and he's going to be discussing how to gain alpha in the market and probably be talking about futures commodities. John, uh, what exactly are you kind of talking about each week? So mine's very clear. I'm talking about one stock each week. What are you doing? Are you looking at like one thing or what, what really are you doing? So we're going to talk about investing slash trading ideas and concepts um, to generate alpha. So like 
if I would say like you can have um, a core position which will help you like generate the same return as the market and you use that with a little bit of leverage. Um, so you well, capital efficiency is a better word that I like to use. And then the rest of your portfolio, you make little tiny trades uh, with high probability and using uh, macro or using um, technical, some kind of technical indicator or some kind of uh, strategy or how to build strategies to where you can uh, generate the extra alpha. We're go I'm gonna do a mixture of things. It's gonna be a pretty open concept so I can run with it in a few different directions. But I'm what are you talking about Thursday? Uh, Thursday is going to be an introduction show, so I'm going to talk about what my Ford Outlook is, kind of some of the stuff you've heard here tonight, my Ford Outlook going forward, and I might start with my five key concepts to investing. Okay, so those videos will be found weekly, mine on Wednesday, John's on Thursday, hopefully Dustin's um, technical analysis show on Tuesdays, that'll be found on the Pivotal Trading YouTube channel. So don't just go in there and watch the videos. Be sure to hit the subscribe button when you hit do the video. So if you like the videos, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Feel free to leave comments and we'll answer some of your questions. Uh, but that's on the Pivotal Trading YouTube channel. If you're not following us yet on Twitter, you can follow us at Swinging It or for Pivotal Trading at Pivotal underscore trading, but definitely follow the at Swinging It first. Um, and, you know, feel free to interact with us on there. We have never not commented back or not replied back to a DM or really probably never not commented back to a comment directed at us. So if you comment us, um, we'll probably reply back. It may not be what you like, but we may reply back. Um, and then as far as swinging it goes, we haven't got dates set yet, but we do have two good guests coming up. We have... Um, Catherine Baker, who is a technical analysis options trader. She will be coming on the show in the near future to do like a normal interview discussion. Um, you know, we've had investors and stuff on. She's a options trader. She's a day trader, swing trader. She uses technical analysis. So we're going to be able to tie some of these technical analysis concepts in with her and, you know, just have a discussion on what's her strategies and that sort of thing. And then, um, here very soon, we're going to do a Just for Fun show, which may have a lot of useful information or may have no useful information. Um, and that'll be us with Fat Baby Funds and the Stock Parrot and maybe Colin. We'll see. Um, I'll probably invite him. I, I don't know if he will want to or not, um, what we're going to be talking about. But that may last, who knows how long that'll last. But it's definitely going to be a weekend show. I think uh, Fat Baby Funds and the Parrot are looking to do some drinking, probably play some drinking games on the show and um, talk about who knows what. Uh, Fat Baby Funds was drunk last week and he tweeted us talking about Bitcoin, said that he was going to make sure we have conviction the time he gets done with us. So he's, he, he plans on doing that on the show. He said, give me a couple beers and I'll make sure y'all have conviction. So that was a promise for Fat Baby Funds. So that should be fun. Uh, but yeah. Definitely follow us, subscribe to the YouTube channel, if, um, do your homework and share the show with um, five friends as well as the YouTube channel. If we've been helping you out or you've been enjoying us, chances are we can help somebody else or they may can enjoy us too. So be sure to send out to them and 
Yeah, have a good trading week. Keep swinging it. And John, play the music.